0: place for everything. One day when I was 11, Daddy came busting into the house, covering his eye with one hand and holding a pitchfork in the other. Manda, how many times I gotta tell you to put your tools away when you're done with them? daddy I don't daddy-eye me. I damn near poked my eye out. You realize how dangerous it is to leave one of these things lying around? It wasn't no use arguing. He was right and I couldn't lie. We were the only two people who lived on the farm, and I was the one mucking out the stalls in the barn. I didn't remember leaving it out, though. Must have leaned up against something when I was done, and later on it fell over. Sorry, Daddy. Yeah, well, you'll be real sorry if I ever impale myself. I thought that was a bit melodramatic, even if I didn't know what melodramatic meant at the time. Daddy always was a little theatrical. Got it from his crazy Appalachian mama. Wasn't nothing else I could do or say, so I just repeated myself. Sorry, Daddy. And that's what I kept saying over and over again as I took that bullet out of his arm. Sorry, Daddy! Stop saying sorry and get the damn thing out! Okay? Sorry! Damn it, Amanda! I bit my tongue literally and focused. First bullet was easy. Went clean through his leg and was poking out the other side. All I had to do was cut the skin and yank on it with a pair of needle-nose pliers, which was about as fancy as we got out here on the farm. Did I mention I have no formal medical training? But the second one was buried in his shoulder. Not too deep, I could see it wedged into his meat as the spotlighted his arm with the flashlight I was holding between my teeth. Daddy took another big slug from the bottle of doers he was holding, the closest thing to anesthesia we had. He'd already killed half a fifth and was busy working on the rest. I hoped maybe if I took long enough, he'd pass out and stop yelling at me. Would have made my job a hell of a lot easier. Would you stop squirming? Pardon me, Amanda, if I'm bothering you. But if you haven't noticed, I got a bullet in my arm. That was it. I'd had enough. I pushed the pliers in, got myself a firm grip on the shell, and started yanking. Daddy reacted predictable. He screamed. Ha! I joined in as I pulled the bullet out and held it up in the air. Ha! I did it! Daddy slammed his chest with his fists and made several uncharitable references I am not inclined to repeat. I guess that didn't do much to stop the pain because he slugged down a whole bunch more whiskey. Then he started mumbling. Then he passed out. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why didn't they go to the hospital? Well, we studied on it. But Daddy had a thing against going to hospitals. Said people died in hospitals all the time, which I guess was technically true. I know what else you're thinking. Why didn't they call the authorities? Well, we did. Daddy did anyway. Told me all about it. After he sobered up, he called the sheriff and told him that the Mac family had gone even more feral than before. Leaving out the part about the alien hive and the tentacles and all that, on account of it probably diminishing his credibility. As it turns out, the sheriff didn't even leave out nothing. They try to sacrifice you to that tentacle thing? He asked. You know about that? Yeah, you're not the first. Well, how long they've been at it? Don't you think that's something you might want to tell people? Calm down, Bill. It popped up on our radar about three hours ago. Oh, then I guess you don't know about Gomer Gomez? They get him, too? Maybe? I'm not sure of the timeline. Huh. Well, thanks for the intel. Is that it, aren't you? It's happening everywhere, Bill. You hunker down there on the farm. Unlock your gun safe. Got enough ammo? Already on it. All right, then. Good luck. And he hung up. In the week that followed, I watched the news for any word of what happened. Were there hives forming in other parts of the state, the country, the world? Nothing popped up. Just usual stories of kids dying in apartment fires and people getting shot. Then one day, the station shut down. All three of them. Power went out a day later. We were truly out on our own. We were in the living room when it happened. We sat there quietly contemplating the meaning of it. Then Daddy said, time to visit Maurice. Let me explain. Living with a man like my Daddy could be infuriating. Half the time I didn't know why he did the things he did. The other half I understood it, but didn't think they were particularly good ideas. He seemed to be guided by an inner navigator that didn't truly understand the compass of the world. South was east, north was west and all that. Yet every offbeat project, crazy contraption, or pointless hobby always turned out to have a greater use that nobody, not even Daddy and his crack-brain navigator, could have predicted. Like Maurice. Out on the farm, everything gets used and everything gets recycled. That ain't so unusual. But Daddy took his salvaging to the extreme. He was so crazy about it that he often took junk from other people that he didn't need, just in case. He said that he drew the line at dumpster Diving, but I had a feeling that he'd crossed it more than once. That's why we had two barns. First one he built natural. That's to say he bought wood, nails, screws, and a roof and intended for the construction of a barn. We housed all our animals and tools and hay in that one. The second barn he took on as a challenge. I imagine the conversation that went on in his head went something like this. Hey. Yeah. I bet you can't make a barn out of all that crap you got piled up over there. I bet I can. And that's why we got ourselves a barn made out of particle board, scrap metal, old doors, bald tires, half-chip cinder blocks, and just about anything else you could imagine. I think I even saw some of my old stuffed animals shoved into the holes or filling up gaps. My favorite thing was what he did with about 50 antique of drawers, shiffer and other bedroom furniture. Took them all apart and joined them back together to make the prettiest sliding door I ever did see. He called that barn Maurice for some reason. Used it to store all the new junk he was always bringing home. It was filled up with just about everything useful that had ever been thrown away. Electronics, batteries, rebar, solar panels, barrels, bricks, insulated wire, shoes, weights, furniture screws, nails, tires, inner tubes, sheets of metal, and spools of cable. Organized the crap out of it, too. Wasn't a thing lying around for no reason. So when the TV stopped broadcasting and the power went out and he said, Time to visit Maurice, I knew something interesting was afoot. What are you going to build now? Daddy was already up, limping toward the back door. We, Manda, what are we going to build now? I thought you said you wanted me to finish pitching hay. Well, this is more important. Fine, what are we building? Electric fence. Simple as that? Simple as that. And that's how we almost got ourselves killed. It took us about three weeks to get it all done. Daddy had just enough insulated wire to run two lines around three square acres. I was watching him hook the battery up to a solar panel in the west field when a man came bursting out of the woods screaming, Hey! Hey! Help us! Daddy picked up the rifle he leaned against an apple tree, aimed, and fired. A chunk of earth exploded in front of our new friend who skidded to a halt. That's far enough, Daddy said. Keep them hands up. You got them, Sugar... Amanda? See, I already have my gun up, too. I close one eye to get a better beat on my target. Yeah. I don't know about you, but people who have two guns trained on them tend to lose control of their bladders. Not this guy. He kept his hands up, but he looked angry about it. You've got to help us. We don't have to do nothing. There's a woman out in the woods. I expect so. Her name is Lynn. She's pregnant. She needs help. Mm Mm-hmm. The man put his hands down. You don't believe me. I believe you better put your hands back up. I'm telling the truth. Do, do I look like one of those things? Daddy grunted. I knew what he was thinking. Said Mac didn't look like one of them things. Neither did the rest of his family. Except Mama Mac, I guess. Daddy kept his finger off the trigger the whole time they were talking. But when the man didn't put his hands back up, he saw fit to do so. The man saw it too. I saw him see it. But did he put his hands up then? Not a chance. He shook his head looking back and forth between the two of us. You're not going to help us. Nothing personal. Is there any other place nearby? Nope. We stood there like that for a full minute. Two guns trained on one unarmed man. My shoulder was getting tired, so I let it drop. You can leave any time, mister, I said. My name's Leo. Okay, and I'm not leaving. You can either come out here and help us, or shoot me, because we're as good as dead otherwise. Daddy? Amanda, don't. What if he's telling the truth? If the look Daddy gave me could have spoke, it would have said, Oh, ain't she precious? Instead, he said, What if he's not? I squinted against the sun, looking at Leo and trying to come up with a gentle way to say what I was going to say next. And when I couldn't, I said, We'll shoot him. I don't know if I was going to shoot anybody or not. I would have if I needed to. But as it turns out, I didn't. And there was more than just a pregnant lady out there. There was another lady, Charlene, and the pregnant lady's boyfriend, Des. Daddy just about had a minor stroke when he saw em all, and Lynn was more than just pregnant. She was pregnant, pregnant. Full to the brim. I'm not saying Daddy's a mathematical genius because he ain't, but he didn't need to be to figure out that taking four, soon-to-be-five extra people on our farm was going to stretch our resources way past then. But he wasn't no murderer, neither, and all it took was one shared look between the two of us for a decision to be made. Well, all right, then he said. There was more than enough room for everyone at the house. I might have been an only child, but Daddy had four siblings, three older sisters and a younger brother, and each of them had their own room. Now they sat dusty and dormant, and Daddy told me to take out all the sheets and pillows outside and beat them clean, a task I did not relish at all. I'll help, Leo said, giving Des a look. You should lie down. That's the first time I noticed how sick Des was. He looked pale, almost green, with dark circles under his eyes and a light sheen of sweat on his skin. It's okay, Charlene and I. Charlene was already shaking her head. I'm not going out there. Not right now. This will be the first time I've slept indoors in a week. Charlene. Charlene, nothing. I'm tired and I've got a headache. And then she went into her room and shut the door. A second later, we heard the lock click. Leo looked apologetically at me and Daddy. It's been difficult. You don't have to explain, Daddy said. I found plenty of old wash line in Maurice, and me and Leo strung it up between the two old poles in the backyard. They haven't been used since the 50s, I imagine, when Granddaddy finally wired the house for electricity. They were rusty and listin' but sturdy. Leo found us a few dead branches, and we commenced to swatten the sheets and pillows so hard that soon our hair and eyebrows were frosted with dust. Leo got to coughing so hard that he almost threw up, so we took a break and sat down on the back stoop. Well, that didn't seem to bother you at all, he said. Country life's full of dust. I'm used to it. Maybe we should spray him down instead. Still won't get rid of the dust. And you won't have no sheets or pillows. As long as I have a bed, I'll be happy. I bet. We sat there for a while, enjoying the quiet. It was chiller than usual for October, and the air cooled the sweat on my skin. I looked over at Leo and saw that he'd turned his face up to the sun. His eyes were closed, and he was actually smiling a little. I thought maybe he hadn't been able to relax like that in a while. Is it as bad as I think it is? I asked he nodded. How long you been out there? Two weeks. That's a long time to be out on your own. Lynn and Charlene and Dez, they friends of yours? No. How long you been with them? couple of days. Met Lynn and Dez running out of cold pepper. We found Charlene wandering around here yesterday. I was about to ask him where he saw her when someone screamed upstairs, either Charlene or Lynn. Me and Leo exchanged a look. We made it in time to see Daddy limp upstairs, rifle in hand. Stay down there, Amanda! Fat chance! We gimped up to the second floor and down the hall, Daddy, me, and Leo. The screaming was coming from Lynn and Dez's room. Daddy rammed it with his shoulder over and over until the lock busted and we all piled in. Lynn was curled up in the corner, screaming and crying, ducking her face under her arm. She was still dressed but had taken off her shoes, and she was holding the bedside lamp in her hands. The shade was wrecked and spattered with blood. Des was on the ground on the other side of the room. His head stove in. That didn't bother me as much as the green stuff oozing out of his skull. That and the fuzzy branch of fungus that split it in two. Daddy moved toward him. Daddy, don't, I said. It's okay. Keeping his rifle trained on the dead man, he went over and nudged his leg. Dez didn't move. Daddy nudged him again. Nothing. Well, it looks like, and that's when Dez pushed himself up off the ground with a grunt. Look out, I yelled. Daddy fired off a wild shot and Des got to his knees, drool and blood spilling out of his open mouth. He lunged forward and Daddy fired three times, hitting him in the chest and head. Daddy wanted to kick them all out right then and there. Daddy, you can't. I can't nothing, Manda. They're infected. You don't know that. It could have been just him. If they stay, we'll all be dead by morning. If you kick them off the farm, you'll be responsible for what happens to them after. Don't say that, Manda. Well, it's true. Daddy studied the weight of his decision. Fine, they can stay, but they're not staying in the house. We're locking them up in the barn. Daddy, we're locking them up in the barn, Amanda, and that's final. So that's what we did. Marched them out of the house at gunpoint and locked them up in the barn. I slept so bad that night that I shouldn't have even tried. Every time I'd get close, I'd see Dez's face blow up or the green fungus coming out of the crack in his skull. I finally gave up around 6.30, throwing off the covers with a sigh. The sky was still dark. Down in the kitchen, it was too dark out to see anything and too dark to go rummaging around in the drawers for candles and matches. Daddy said we needed to save them anyway. We did have a battery-powered lantern, though. Use it for camping and hunting. Daddy left it out on the counter, so I turned it on and shined it around. There was a basket of apples sitting on the counter, fresh from the picking the day before, so I took one off the top. After a bite and a think, I put three in my pockets, two in the front and one in the back, and set out for the barn. The frosty grass crunched under my boots. I stopped at the barn door, wondering if I was doing the right thing. Daddy'd kill me if he knew I was out there, but couldn't let him starve. And Limb being pregnant? I turned around, half hoping I'd see Daddy coming out the back door so I could stop, but he didn't. The house was a black form against the lightning sky. With a sigh, I checked the .357's magazine. Seven bullets. I tucked it in my belt and entered the padlock combo. The door slid aside with a screech. The barn was dark and foreboding, and fear welled up inside my chest. What if they had turned? What if they were crouching in the dark, waiting for me? I could hear Daddy's voice in my head. Well, Amanda, if they are, you think leaving the door open's the best idea? As usual, he was right, so I slid it shut and shined the lantern around, my hand resting on my gun. You guys awake? Nothing but the sound of the animals, stirring in the dark, a lone cricket singing in the corner. I brought the lantern up to Lucky, my favorite dray, and he nickered at me. I stroked his muzzle. Hey, Lucky, you're alive at least. You can't keep us in here forever. It was Leo. His voice had come from behind me. I held the lantern up as I head in his direction and saw him up in one of the lofts. He was sitting on the edge, swinging his legs. You take the ladder up there with you? Not taking any chances. Smart. He laughed and shook his head. Yeah, I guess. You hungry? I've got apples. Amanda, you know this isn't right. I know. Then let us go. I can't. I took the apple out of my back pocket and held it up to him. You want one or not? Sure. I tossed it up and he caught it and took a bite. Thanks. You know where the other two are? He shook his head. I've been up here all night. I found Charlene sleeping in an empty stall. Nudged her awake with my foot. She rose up on her elbow. What? I brought some food. I tossed her the apple. She bobbled it, and it fell on the hay around her. You seen Lynn? No. Are you going to let us out? Help me find her. Her face hardened. In the lamplight, she looked gaunt and hollow-eyed. She coughed. (coughs) Why? I want to give her an apple. She's got to be starving. Such a magnanimous gesture. When I didn't say anything, she added, Magnanimous means I know what it means. You going to help me or not? Fine. We searched every corner, every stall, but it wasn't until the sun started to rise and some real light filtered into the barn that we finally found her. She covered herself up with horse blankets and straw, her foot sticking out at one end, her head out the other. The fungus had gotten her too. Erupted out of her skull. Blood leaked out of the corners of her eyes, running down her cheeks in little streams. I heard a little gasp behind me. Charlene must have been crying. I edged closer to Lynn's body, holding the lantern up. It flickered on and off, on and off, then went out right when I got up to her face. I smacked it, and the lights turned on, and Lynn's fixed eyes shifted and focused on me. All hell, I cried, jumping back. She convulsed, shaking off the straw and blankets and sat straight up, her arms reaching for me. I stumbled back over something and fell on my ass, and the lantern went out again. The light of pre-dawn sifted through the slats in the barn walls, painting everything in a stark gray gauze. I could hear her, it, the thing that used to be Lynn, shuffling out of the hay, the hiss of its breath. I scrambled to my feet and drew my gun. I don't know what my plan was. I guess if something loomed up in front of me, I'd kill it. What I should have been doing was backing my way to the barn door, sliding it open and getting the hell out of there. But adrenaline does crazy things to the brain. My breath came in quick gasps. I swirled around at every sound, keeping my finger off the trigger, needing to save every last bullet. I was still holding up the lantern for some reason. Maybe somewhere in the back of my mind I thought it would come back on. Something crunched in the hay to my left, and I swung around and fired. Something else crunched in the hay to my right, and I swung around and fired. And after that, nothing. But I knew it was out there, the Lynn Monster, and it was coming for me. Then I backed into something soft, a body, I think, and two arms clamped down around my shoulders. I broke free and spun around with a scream, brandishing the lantern. It flickered to life, and there was Charlene. A stalk of fungus had cracked through her skull, just like Des and Lynn, and the whites of her eyes were green. She opened her mouth, and a nest of tentacles poured out. I must have pulled the trigger three times before I knew what I was doing, missing with each shot, down to my last two. I tried to remember what Daddy taught me about shooting. You've got to do it calm, Amanda. Take a deep breath, aim, exhale, fire. So I did it. I squinted one eye closed, exhaled, and pulled the trigger. And it hit her in the shoulder, and she stumbled back a few steps. One shot left. I aimed for her head, took a deep breath, let it go, fired again. Her head whipped back, and she went down in a heap. I didn't have time to celebrate or relax, though, because as soon as she hit the ground, the thing that used to be Lynn was on me, took me down from the side. The lantern bounced away when I hit the ground. The thing was on top of me, its hands reaching for my throat, its mouth open. I brained it with the butt of the gun. Cracked its skull open even more, but that didn't even stop it. Its mouth grew closer and closer, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't push it off. As I was panicking, not doing nothing to help myself other than whine and wheedle, the door squealed open, and morning light flooded the barn. I turned my head to avoid the thing snapping teeth, and that's when I saw it plain as day in the new morning sun. The pitchfork. I'd left it out again. It was laying on the ground. Its sharp tines sticking up out of the straw right in front of Lucky's stall. The Linn thing was heavy and round and awkward. And I wasn't no bull myself, but I was farm strong. I pushed it up and off me with a grunt, holding it out at arm's length and rolled to my right, using the momentum to throw it as far as I could, which wasn't very far, but far enough. It landed half on the pitchfork handle, which didn't help, but the back of its head thunked into two of the tines, spattering blood and pus and green stuff. It shook once and went still. I lay on my back, exhausted. That was not at all how I'd hoped my morning was going to go. After a while, I realized the barn door was still open. Wind blew the leaves in. I got up and looked at the loft, knowing what I'd see. The ladder was back up again, and Leo was nowhere to be found. Daddy was awake when I limped into the kitchen from the back door. I should have noticed how pale and gaunt he looked, how his hair was matted to his forehead, but I don't think anybody would blame me for not. I was exhausted, covered in slime and blood and gook. Hay was sticking out of my hair, my jeans were ripped, and my boot was about to fall off again. He went from surprised to angry to concerned all in the space of about ten seconds. I sat down at the kitchen table and stretched my leg out in front of me and took a deep breath. You okay? He asked. Yeah. Hungry? Yeah. I heard him banging around with the wood stove and I thought I should help out, but all I could do was stare at the table. After a while, he put a steaming mug of tea in front of me. Blueberry, my favorite. He sat down on the other side and sipped from his own mug. You're going to be okay, Manda. I know. You need to sleep? Maybe. Yeah, actually, I do. Okay, go ahead. And maybe later, you can help me finish that fence. Yeah. I kind of think we have to. Hey, hey, thank you for tuning into the Mad Tales podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's chapter. If you cannot wait until next week to finish the story, you can always buy it in ebook and paperback form from Amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me, both in ebook and in paperback, a signed paperback nonetheless, uh, from my website, www.jamesnoll.net. That's www.jamesnoll.net. And if you would love to support me on Patreon, I would love you to support me on Patreon. I'm offering all kinds of cool extras, including access to bonus material, uh, the ebooks released one week at a time, the chapter at a time, uh, customized short stories, and if I can build enough of a following, I want to film a live-action version of Make the Hive Great Again, one of my favorite chapters from The Hive. It's uh, at the end of the first season. It's the very last chapter of the, of the first season. That would be an awesome thing to do. So if you want to visit my Patreon page, it's www.patreon.com slash madtales. That would be fantastic, and I will see you guys next week.